Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. Hey. All right. Welcome to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah. Having a good day. Let's start the pod. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good day. Thanks for listening to the pod. Hey guys, what's up? I have an amazing singing voice. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, just drank some espresso and I'm ready to rock. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how long this one's gonna be. I want to talk about Surviving R. Kelly, because I've been watching that documentary. I got one episode left, and then I'm gonna uh, read a couple things from this ethics book I've been reading, which I read every morning now. And it makes me happy, it puts me in a better mood. Uh... So I'll get to that in a second. Please, if you haven't yet, take a moment, rate the podcast five stars. It really helps. Leave a review. That also really helps a lot. Uh, if it's a good review, you know what I mean? And I will be back in town. I will be off the road uh, tomorrow. So, I mean, well, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I'll be back as I'm recording this tomorrow. And I'll be back for almost a full month. It's planned as of now. I might get some gigs. Uh, who knows? But um, the point is, I can get back to <laughs> doing more pods and uh, making them, I think, a little bit better because I'll have articles to read from and more fun stuff I'll be able to look up. Okay, so um, yeah, please rate the podcast five stars, leave a review. I noticed a lot more of you've been doing that. Really, really appreciate it. Totally helps. Um, okay, so surviving <laughs> R. Kelly. Oh my god, dude. Like, this is the thing that's so weird to me. I'm 35. I don't know who, how old you are listening to this. I, it was like a known thing that R. Kelly was peeing on little girls and all this stuff since, uh, I couldn't remember. I just feel like that's something I've known forever, right? And I was always in the back of my mind, like, why is this guy not in jail? Like, what happened? Uh, everyone knows this is a thing. You know, Dave Chappelle on Chappelle Show did that. Uh, sketch where he's like, I'm gonna piss on you or whatever, and it was hilarious and everybody thought it was so funny, but I, was, I just kept thinking, and I keep thinking, but it just kind of like goes out of your head like, whoa, isn't this guy fucking kids? Like, is, and he peeing on them, and isn't this, that's not okay, like, why is he still out there making music and stuff? And this documentary is just really well made I think, but also just horrifying, man. And there's so many people in this doc that are just they were there they were there throughout it and it's so disgusting to me uh i won't say who it is but there's somebody who was a celebrity and at one point I, for a very brief period i was uh close to this person she invited she wanted me to be at her birthday we were kind of talking or whatever and at her birthday it was so sad and i didn't point it out to her because i think it would have ruined her entire birthday but I was the only person there 
I was literally the only person there who wasn't working for her in some capacity. And she had no clue. It was very weird. Um, I'd never been in a situation like that. I obviously know people who are celebrities. I mean, most of them are comics and stuff. Um, but this person was not a comedian. They were a singer. And it was just one of the saddest things I've ever seen. You know, everybody's like, oh, I want to be famous and all this stuff. But it was just so sad. Nobody wanted to be there. And it was so obvious to me that nobody wanted to be there. But they were all there because, I mean, even when she introduced me to him, some of them I had already met, but it was like, this is my manager so-and-so. This is my, um, you know, my, uh, what's he called? Stylist guy or whatever. You know, he did the wardrobe stuff. And this is... Uh, this is my, uh, I remember there was this uh, little like flamboyant gay dude. He like wrote some of her songs or something and his boyfriend or husband or whatever. And then this is whatever. And we went to eat. She had a, she booked like a hotel room uh, in Hollywood. And we were, I think we were eating downstairs in like in the restaurant there or something. And then she said, we're going to, um, she, she, she was all excited. It was her birthday. And she's like, oh, we're going to go out and then we're going to do this and we're going to do that slowly and I saw it all happen it was like it was happening in slow motion for me and she just had no idea what was going on everybody just found a reason to leave before it turned into you had to hang out with her all night it was so sad it was one of the saddest things I think I'd ever seen because I didn't even know her that well you know and no one wanted to be there it was her birthday she didn't have anybody who wanted to be there for her birthday it was so fucking sad and so uh yeah, it, it, and I'm, I'm talking to everyone. I'm not exaggerating by saying, eh, most people try to take off. Every single person but me was left, and it happened fast. It was just, oh, hey, we got this thing. You know, oh, man, we wanted to go, but we got blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, no, that sucks, you know? And then right after that, somebody else was like, oh, you know what? Um, I just remembered blah, blah, blah. And, oh, no, what? Oh, you can't hang out either? It was so sad. My point is... People that have, and this person wasn't super, super famous anymore at this point, but um, people who have any sort of fame or anything just have hangers on around them. There's so many people that are in this documentary, so obviously they're, I guess, calling R. Kelly out now because everybody involved in this is not on his, quote, side anymore, I guess. But I'm not talking about the women. I'm talking about these guys that were just like, oh, this one music producer... Who's, he, he's just, he goes, oh yeah, you know, I, I went to the studio and, you know, Robert had like a bed in the middle of the recording studio. And I thought, well, that's weird. That's not normal, you know? And he's saying it's like his part in the documentary is just, he, and he keeps mentioning other things too that are just so fucking weird. He's like, you know, there's always all these young girls in the studio. And you could just tell, like, I don't know how old they were, but you could just tell they were very young. They were definitely underage. And I thought... Well, that's odd. It's like, dude, at what point do you go, what the fuck is going on, man? Why do you have all these kids in here? And he, and he even talks about it. He goes, and I walked in one time, and Robert was, uh, this girl had her pants down, and he was rubbing on her booty. And I don't know how old she was, but you could tell she was a child. It's like, dude, what? <laughs> how long ago was that? Why is this documentary that you're in now, now you're in the, you know what I mean? The guy, so that was just one guy, and then there's, Obviously, other people who this one guy was his uh, his childhood friend and bodyguard for a while, and that guy is in the documentary. He knows a bunch of shit, and it's just you're all participating in this. You know what I mean? It's, it's we'll get to kind of kind of sort of 
bleeds into it. Um, yeah, it actually does one of the things I'm going to read from this ethics book later. But you're sp you're supposed to know when you're in a situation that's bad. If somebody came to me and they're like, "Hey, I'll give you ten million dollars," um, you know, and it's like my dream job or whatever, you know, like I'll, I'll make you famous. And if someone came to me right now and said, "I will make you a famous comedian. We'll give you a Netflix special. It'll, you know, we're gonna keep it on the homepage for you know a whole month, you know." <laughs> uh, and we'll give you as many tries as you want to shoot the special, whatever. Like, just assuming, you know, it's like the, the easiest deal ever. And then they're like, but you have to do this thing that's extremely unethical. I just wouldn't do it. Like, it's just a gross way to be. I've always, uh, I don't know. Like, there, there's so many people in entertainment who are shitty and grimy. They're just bad people. Like, just on an objective level, they're just bad. They just do things that are horrible to other people. They steal. I've had multiple agents steal from me and this is not my opinion like i caught them stealing it's in writing like they are thieves and it's and they do people that i actually liked i thought they weren't even as bad as some other people so um but there's also good people you know i've also met a lot of good people and i've always just you know i mean obviously i'm not exactly where i want to be right now but i've always said hey hopefully someday if i keep working hard i'll bump into more of the good people and you know all it really takes is one person in the right position to validate you and then the whole industry just falls in line and oh i always knew i always knew you were great you know i always use uh my old bud tiffany haddish as an example tiffany is so famous now tiffany has been exactly like that for years you know what i mean and she finally got that part in girls trip or whatever or girl trip or girls trip and uh then she blew up and now it's like you know look at look at that snowball the last few years she's one of the most famous people she's in everything i just watched zach galifianakis's between two ferns movie on netflix which was pretty funny and uh she's in that i mean she's in everything you know she was in uh i was in the gym and there's a adam levine video and he's i don't know what song it is and he's spinning around and all these different people keep popping up dancing with them or something and she's one of them anyways my point is she got the right thing you know what i mean she worked really hard and she got the right thing and now look, look at that so um my point is i'd never want to like sell out for any of that stuff i was around somebody who's just doing grimy horrible shit but they were helping me out i i just couldn't stay you can't stay and i have some examples that aren't even nearly as bad as r kelly where i was like i can't be around this and i it hurt my definitely my pocketbook maybe my career uh, and I think that'll actually tie into something I'm going to read later too because I'm going to read this, a couple of these passages from this ethics book and then I'm going to uh, uh, I'll, I have like a little personal reason for each one that like why I want to read them so anyways I just thought it was insane how many people what R. Kelly did is so crazy too because um, you know he gets arrested for child pornography because that's it's pretty interesting that is easier to prosecute because actually prosecuting the statutory rape the sex with a minor you need to know the date it happened and so when that tape got out um of him with the 14 year old girl and he's peeing on her and having sex with her and all that stuff uh they don't know there's no date on the tape so that uh, that's kind of interesting Le legally that's very interesting right i thought that was interesting that you need to have a specific date for the crime obviously um like i said obviously and i just learned that so so but uh, this, is, this is the interesting part too another interesting part about that child pornography i guess they said carries the exact same penalties 
as him being prosecuted for what he was doing in the video. So that makes perfect sense. Like, get him on the thing that gets the same penalty, but, you know, is uh, easier to convict. So anyways, they show how he, he... R. Kelly, you gotta say, when it comes to music, obviously, you know, a lot of people say he's a genius and uh, all that, but I think the way he manipulates people it's just not how my brain's wired. It's not how I'm sure anyone out there listening to your brain's wired, but he's not only a sociopath, and I know someone like that, my old roommate, who just lies and takes advantage of people, and like it's unbelievable, like the things he hid from me for over a decade and all these other women and stuff. But, um, but he's kind of a genius too when they talk about certain things he did during that time. Like he just put, he just put out new, he just kept putting out music. And then they talk, all these people are in, their, in the documentary talking about how, yeah, you know, and he got arrested in 2002 and all this stuff. And then, you know, he puts out the Ignition remix and everybody was like, oh, yeah, like it just went out. And I, I totally agree. Totally went out of my head, too. That's why I'm always saying it was like in the back of my mind, like, didn't this guy like fuck young girls and pee on him and stuff? And isn't it proven? Like, why is he still making the Ignition remix, you know? And then uh, he did how he balanced doing like. Uh, all his raunchy stuff where he has all these lyrics about where he's basically telling you what he likes to do and then he does songs like I Believe I Can Fly and it was really interesting how they show how I, I Believe I Can Fly was played at you know uh, you know kindergarten graduations high school graduations all these things you know all these big events so it's tied to people's happy memories and then he did Step in the Name of Love which became kind of like a you play it at weddings and you play it at you know family events and stuff like that so he, he made these other songs that were you know they were just completely different from the, all the raunchy sex pornographic type songs he was making i gotta say this real quick before i forget trapped in the closet i never thought was good i don't understand why when that came out everybody was like oh my god have you heard trapped in the closet i thought it sucked i thought it was hard to listen to yeah he has a good voice but i thought it was terrible i liked the ignition remix a lot who didn't I like I believe I can fly step in the name of love I I don't even, I think bump and grind was even I, I guess bump and grind was great that's him right I don't see nothing wrong with is that R. Kelly I think that's R. Kelly look how bad I am at this anyways um so I never really listened to that raunchy stuff too much well I didn't I didn't listen to it because I didn't really like that that super slow style it wasn't my thing so Anyways, um, but he would just like basically put out new songs and everybody would forget. And uh, they, they talk about this one performance he did at some award show where, you know, this is like when more stuff was coming out. I think it was 2010 they were talking about this happened. And uh, he was, you know, that's when his trial was still going on or right when he just got off or something. And uh, he did this 1950s style thing which they said was really manipulative too because it made it you know seem like uh i think their point was you know remember the 50s when you know they're, they're coming after black people type of thing which is just smart you know what i mean because that would that's his whole that's everybody every famous person who's uh you know gets accused of something. sometimes they didn't do it and a lot of times they did and it's just oh they're just trying to tear me down they're just trying to tear me down whatever like even with oj it was like oh they're trying to tear like another innocent black man down or like he's just too famous and it's so funny because you, you like ever listen to anybody who knows oj like that guy 
had like no interest in the black community until he got caught for those murders and then he, they changed it and made it like he's this like guy who's all about the black community um but anyways i mean it is an emotional defense but i don't know it's just crazy i, I just i'm kind of just sickened by how many people are like yeah that was weird i saw that that was odd oh uh, yeah all these young girls and he, their pants are down he's like rubbing on their booty i'm like oh that's strange it's like yeah you're fucking strange dude you weirdo how do you not report that shit so anyways, I got one episode left. I'm gonna watch it in the gym when I go right after this. Uh, all right, I mean, you guys know, I was texting my buddy about the thing and he was like, yeah, man, he goes, I know all this stuff. He goes, why, do you, why are you talking to me like I disagree? I'm like, dude, you like R. Kelly, man, you're on his side. Um, that's a weird thing too. Like I've said, I said this a long time ago and then it's funny because like I think like a year or so later after I was saying it, I heard Adam Carolla say it. Not saying he heard me say it, he didn't, but he just had the same thought. Uh, I heard him say it on TV about Chris Brown. You know, because Chris Brown, you know, literally just punched Rihanna in the face or something. And then everyone's like, oh, he's young. He's only 19. It's like, I was 19. You know what I mean? I'd gotten into it. You know, I have disagreements with girls I did and never ever even raised my hand to punch anybody you know and uh so i i would say i said you know and same with like michael jackson if you could if you could sing and dance like super well chris brown super talented guy great dancer great singer you know uh real charismatic all that stuff then people let you off the hook and uh adam kroll said the exact same thing on tv i forgot what show it was but he's like yeah if you could sing and dance you know really well you can get away with anything um but it is sad and it's true, you know, with people, uh, they just, we, we like people's music and then, or, or if they're an athlete, like, oh, they're a real great athlete. And then we just back them up no matter what. It's just insane. I don't know. I, I, I think that's a weird thing. I, I've always, I, I don't know how easy it'll be because obviously this is my first time being a dad, but I'm really going to try and instill in my kids not to idolize anybody idol worship that that's what it is it's idol worship you know what i mean like if you like somebody because they have a really good song you like or they have really good songs you like then just know that you like those songs and that's it it needs to end there if you like an athlete because you know you're really into basketball and they're your favorite basketball player love them for the basketball and that's it that's where it ends you don't have to agree with everything they say and everything they do and I'm not saying they're a bad person if you're a great musician or a great athlete or something or great whatever, but I'm just saying don't don't just go all in on somebody because they're amazing at one thing. You know what I mean? Uh, all right, so I'm really gonna try and make sure my kids understand that because I just I just think it's such a stupid, idiotic. I mean, they show all these people in the documentary, and I'm back to this. They show all these people at the trial. There's a tape of this guy, like having sex with a 14 year old girl and he's like 27 30 something like that and peeing on her and there's just all these women lined up going nuts to see him and don't these people understand like they like him because he's a great musician that <laughs> doesn't mean you get to just do whatever you want to other people and treat human beings like garbage because you're great at something that has nothing to do with it all right Oh my god, I think I'm just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. Alright, so here, I'm going to read, now that I got you, if you're still listening to this, this ethics book I'm reading from, and don't worry, I'm not like super crazy religious, but 
This is the Book of Jewish Values, a day-to-day -day guide to ethical living, right? And I read from it every day, and I think I'm gonna, when I'm done with it, I'm gonna read from it every morning. I'm just gonna keep reading it, because it, it was just interesting, because here's, here's one thing I really like about it. First off, if you're like, I'm not Jewish, I don't need to hear this. If you're Christian, these are, you know, mostly, for the most part, you're the Judeo-Christian ethics too, right? Um, I just think it's like good reminders of just, it's not, it's not like religious. I'm not going to sit here preaching to you or anything. Um, but one thing that I thought was great, and it's really helped me realize even more how much I love my wife because, and why I'm with my wife. My wife's Catholic, and uh, she's not extremely religious or anything either. She doesn't go to church every Sunday, and I don't go to temple every week or anything like that. But, uh, she, you know, she, I always, you know, people like, oh, that's going to be tough. You guys are different religions, your kids, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but my wife's just a great person deep down. Like, we share the same ethics. We share the same morals. So, like, the things that are important to us in life are the same. And, you know what I mean? I could, what? I could end up with a Jewish woman and maybe she didn't share my same values, you know? And Christy does. So, this is one of the great examples. When I was first started reading this book, there was some passage about, like, uh, or some chapter about um, when you hear an ambulance, when most people hear an ambulance or something, an ambulance goes by and like it stops you at a green light, most people, you know, you, you, your tendency is to be like, oh, come on, you know, or whatever, and you're kind of annoyed at the ambulance, but, uh, and that's a very natural reaction. And then it says, like, what you should really do is take that moment to pray for whoever's in need and like hope that they're, you know, they get better and or the ambulance gets there in time and, you know, whatever, right? So I was like, oh man, it's really good, you know? And I, if I'm being honest with myself, yeah, I think most of the time when that happens, I am like, oh, come on, I'm trying to get somewhere, you know? Especially in LA, people, you know, grew up in Southern California, we have a different mentality. Like we're always in a rush, we're always needing to go somewhere. And you go other places and people are just way more laid back and drive slower and they're just, it's, it's like a slower pace, right? So um, I mentioned it to Christy and I go, hey, I go, check this out. What do you do when a, when you when an ambulance, you know, like I explain it, you know, you're at a green light or something, an ambulance comes by and it like stops at the green light. And I go, what's your first thought? And Christy, without hesitating, goes, I always pray for the, that the ambulance gets there and like, you know, takes care of her than you take care of in time. And I was like, what? <laughs> you're, you're like way better of a person than me. And then I said, that's exactly what you're supposed to think, but you don't get annoyed. She's like, no, she says, my mom taught me when I was really little, whenever you see an ambulance and everything, to pray for the, the people that it's going to, to help. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm like, whew, fell a little bit more in love with my wife just then. Um, all right, so here's one that I really like. Uh, From a child is beautiful anything. Alan Sherman, the comic songwriter best known for Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, was once in the middle of an intense conversation with his wife when his young son entered to show off a drawing he had just finished. By the way, I have like a, like I said, a personal reason for each one of these. The childish, the childish scrawls were quickly dismissed by Sherman, who was annoyed at having his conversation interrupted. The boy, hurt by his father's rejection of the picture, threw it down the floor, rushed up to his room and slammed the door. The slamming door reminded the now abashed Sherman of the door he had slammed 25 years earlier. One morning, he had heard his Yiddish-speaking grandmother announce that she needed a football for a large party she would be hosting that evening. Although the young Sherman wondered why his grandmother needed a football, he was determined to procure one for her. He went around his neighborhood and finally found one boy, a bully, who punched him in the nose before agreeing to give over his football in exchange for Sherman's best toys. Sherman took the football home, polished it till it shone, and left it for his grandmother. His mother saw the football first and became upset with him for leaving his toys around. 
When he explained that it was for his grandmother's party, his mother burst into laughter. A football for the party? Don't you understand your own grandma? Not a football, fruit bowl. Grandma needs a fruit bowl for the party. The embarrassed boy ran up to his room, slammed the door, and refused to come down to the party. But a little later, his mother came up to fetch him. When she brought him downstairs, he saw his grandmother proudly walking around the room with a large bowl filled with a variety of beautiful fruits and, in the middle, the polished football he had brought home. When a guest asked his grandmother to explain what a football was doing in the middle of her fruit bowl, she told him about the gift from her grandson and added, From a child is beautiful anything. Over the years, several friends have told me of gifts they brought their parents that, they, that were greeted with half-hearted enthusiasm and sometimes with none at all. That they related these events as adults indicates how much these childhood memories still rankled. Children deserve better. They deserve to have adults who understand, as did Alan Sherman's grandmother, that from a child is beautiful anything. All right, so here's my personal story with that. I was so excited. I can't remember how old I was, but I was old enough to where I had some money from allowance, and I'd saved up. There was this antique store um, where I grew up. Oh, is it? What road is that? I know. Okay, I know where it is. Right on Muirlands, and it was right near the, uh, right near the Albertsons. Used to be a Lucky's grocery store, and I used to walk around my neighborhood all the time, just like go walk all over the place, which is kind of crazy. I remember one time me and my friend David Kim almost got kidnapped. Some lady pulled her car to the side of the road, and we were skateboarding, and then like lunged at, tried to grab us. But anyways, uh, so there was this antique store, and my dad really likes boxing. You know, I would, growing up, I'd watch boxing with my dad, and I know my dad really liked boxing. So I saw in this antique store these old toys. They were, you know, not small, but big, kind of, uh, they're probably like, I'd say maybe a foot tall each. And it was Muhammad Ali and, was it Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier? Or it was Muhammad Ali and George Foreman? It was either the Thrill in Manila or the Rumble in the Jungle. And it was, uh, and it was in a box, and the box was like not in great shape, but the, the toys were still in the box, right? And I remember it was $42 or something. It was a lot of money for me at the time. I did not have a bunch of money. And so for, I think it was for Hanukkah or my dad's birthday, I got it for him. And I was so excited to give it to him because I was also young enough to think that my dad would like these big fucking plastic Muhammad Ali and I think it's Joe Frazier, Joe Frazier dolls. And I give it to my dad, he opens it. I could not be more excited. I just remember I was so excited for my dad to open it. And he opens it and goes, Oh, what am I going to do with these? <laughs> and it just killed me. It just absolutely killed me. Because I thought, I mean, first off, I got it. Like, once he said that, I was like, yeah, what is he going to do with that? But I just thought he'd want to have it. Because I know my dad really liked Muhammad Ali. And, you know, he, you know, Muhammad Ali, when he lived in Chicago, my dad grew up in Chicago. My dad ended up talking to him. And then Muhammad Ali brought him into his house. And my dad always really liked Muhammad Ali because he was really nice to him. And he hung out with him at his house one day and watched Name That Tune or something. So, but the second he said it, I'm like, yeah, what is he going to do with him? I'm such an idiot. But I also just, there was still a part of me that was thinking, he's going to love this. He's going to be like, where'd you get it? And I remember I said, I, I either spent 42 or $44. I remember it was like a weird number um, on that. And I was so happy I found it at the antique store. And uh, yeah, so my dad did the opposite of what this passage says you should do, this thing. All right, so let's read another one. Um, let's see, okay. 
Okay, so this says, again, like, don't get caught up in, like, the religious stuff or anything. I'm not preaching, but just the idea of it, okay? when you, Some people I know are going to be, like, atheists, like, oh, I don't want to hear this shit. It says God, but just the idea behind it, right? How fear of God can make you a better person. Most of us associate, quote, fear of God with hellfire and brimstone religious traditions. For example, some people believe that if they disobey any one of God's commandments or have incorrect theological beliefs, the Lord will impose horrifying and possibly eternal punishments upon them. Although I find such teachings abhorrent, the Torah does several times specifically enjoin, the Torah is like the Jewish Bible, it's the Old Testament, for anyone who doesn't know. The Torah does several times specifically enjoin, quote, and you shall fear God. However, a study of the verses in which the term is used suggests that two benefits can accrue from fear of God, neither of which has to do with eternal damnation or living with a state of permanent terror. First, such fear can be liberating. Most of us are intimidated by some other people. This is kind of the R. Kelly thing I was talking about, right? In non-democratic societies, almost everyone fears government officials. So R. Kelly would be in this situation, not the government official, but kind of like the dictator of his little community, right? Exodus, Exodus's opening chapter tells of Pharaoh's order to two midwives working with the Israelites to murder all newborn male babies at birth. However, the women disobey Pharaoh's command and save the children. What motivates their disobedience? Quote, the midwives fearing God did not do as the king of Egypt had told them, end quote. In other words, they feared God more than they did Pharaoh. The other Egyptians only feared Pharaoh, which is why they, unlike the midwives, followed his subsequent order to hunt down and drown the Israelite infants. This story is the first instance in any recorded literature of an act of civil disobedience. Well, I don't know. I'm sure there's other recorded literature from other places. but And as such, it establishes a pattern that has been observed ever since. Throughout history, a disproportionate percentage of dissenters in authoritarian and totalitarian societies have been religious. Like others, these people fear their country's leaders and their ability to punish, torture, and kill them. But they fear God and his moral law even more, which is what liberates them to resist evil. How dare they assume God's pronoun? In a democratic society such as we have in the United States, where people have no reason to fear that their leaders will imprison or kill them, citizens have an even greater responsibility not to permit themselves to be deterred from doing what is right by fear. We should all bear in mind the midwife story during times when we see an authority figure acting unfairly like the midwives, we should try to thwart him or her. For example, if our boss is unfair to a fellow employee and even worse, wants us to join with him in his unfair behavior, I'm going to get to my personal thing, we're forbidden to do so. Perhaps we fear our boss, but we're instructed to fear God even more. Yes, fear of God can be very liberating. A second way in which fear of God can make you a better person. Oh, okay, that's whatever. Um, so my personal thing with that is... I was writing at a TV show and our boss was just for this is my thing for no reason that benefited anybody including him was just he was just such an insecure guy that he wanted to treat people like shit and he kept lying to us and he was like hey you're going to be you know he told people uh, we were most we're all com we're all comedians right and a lot of us worked the road to like me you know like worked out of town to make our living and some of us, uh, a couple of us had, you know, families. And so uh, he told everyone, like, oh, you'll be working until this date, you know. So And he said, clear your schedules, which also, by the way, is a little bit, well, not a little bit, it was a lot misleading because when he hired us, he said, oh, you'll be able to, you know, you know work and do your uh, shows and everything. You just have to, like, tell us when you're leaving and it's all good. And then that was a lie, too. So he was, kind of, he was mistreating us. He was just lying to us constantly and then making and then punishing us if we said, like, oh, I thought you said I could... I gave you, like, you know, weeks in advance notice of this gig. And they're just like, no, no, you can't do it now. And, you know, how dare you type of thing. And then he would treat you poorly and, you know, ridicule you at work. It was just, like, pathetic. But, like, I, I saw through all... Of, 
all of it. So I just was like, all right, this guy just sucks. He's just like a very unhappy person. But there was one person specifically that he was targeting. And this guy was, I mean, jittery. Like he, this guy had a wife and a kid and he had cleared his schedule. And, um, and then he was threatening to fire the guy and he was going to fire the guy. And I mean, this guy was, you look in his face and he's older than me. Uh, and I just, this guy was scared shitless. He's like, he didn't know how he was going to take care of his wife and kid. And, uh, cause he cleared his schedule and all this stuff. And, you know, he was so nervous about every one of his jokes that he wrote. And, you know, the boss made it a point to like, you know, say in front of everybody, like, yeah, like you're, you know, you, this happens again type of thing. Like you're not going to be here or whatever. And I, you know, to no benefit to me and to my detriment, I went to the boss and I was like, look, man, I go, uh, that guy's brother's a lawyer and, you know, he's got a family and you told him he'd have this job. I go, I don't think you should, you know, fire him. That could be like a real problem. And I basically, stupidly, I guess, but I thought it was the right thing to do, threatened the boss in a way about firing that guy because that guy wasn't going to stand up for himself and he was just going to get fucked over completely and he has a kid and then they kept him on and that guy long story short is still working there and I got fired <laughs> eventually right because of uh, because of me sticking up for people and somebody else at that uh, another thing in there where I just read where it said about uh, if your boss treating people unfairly I got somebody, I got a lot of people with that job. And then by me getting a certain person that job, they they ended up getting other people the job and they never would have gotten the job if it wasn't for me either, right? And the person, one of the people I got the job, she ended up getting promoted to a position above me, at which point she came up to me privately and apologized. I was like, why are you apologizing? She's like, because I, I, I told him I thought you should get this promotion, but whatever. Um, and she, she started... You know, she she would talk shit about the boss. She hated the boss, all this stuff, and you know, she thought he was, she she hated him worse than anybody. And then once she got promoted, because she was getting a little extra money, a little extra power, she ended up conspiring with him to fuck people over. She's she, um, you know, was in. It, it, they're so stupid. Like you could hear in their office when they would talk because they'd close this like very flimsy door, and the office was small. And you could just hear them talking, and I heard them talking about yeah like we're gonna you know uh, make people sign this contract and everything and blah blah and you know they they were talking about like they were worried about legal stuff happening and she just completely sided with him to save her own ass and i was like i just can't you know what i mean i just can't do this and then he started they started trying to like do shit to me to force me to quit and she was involved in all of that and it's just like that's why i think you know fear of god whatever you don't have to believe in god but fear of something Fear of something greater than yourself and your situation, I think, is enough. You know, what I mean, you don't have to be religious and believe in God to even think. You know, just don't don't do what you know is wrong. You know what I mean? I fucking got totally screwed at that place for sticking up for people, and I stuck up for her. She doesn't even know this, but when uh, when I got her the job, when I got her the interview, they. Um, there was at the time it was just me, the boss, and these two other male writers, and then this female uh, who wasn't really like a writer; she was like a producer. Um, 
And when they were throwing out people to hire, they, they said, we need to hire a woman. And so I brought up this person and the other two male writers who she didn't go after, right? Who she was like, uh, one of them ended up, yeah, whatever. She, they both go, oh, her? And I was like, she could do it. I go, she could, she does like, she writes jokes, you know what I mean? I go, so we're just writing jokes. We're doing like jokey jokes. I go, she could do it. And they were like, oh, I don't know. Like everybody was shitting on her. And I was like, I didn't usually give, I had to keep bringing it up, right? And then the boss was like, well, what about so-and-so? And he kept naming this uh, female uh, comedian who's very good looking, right? And he, kept, he literally was saying like, what about her? She's hot. What about her? She's hot. And that person also, uh, the, the bosses and everything and the, the production company's lawyer, or not, yeah, the, their lawyer, they were coming in to like intimidate her and she was like, she was jittery to the point she was crying and I went and stood up for her too, and I went to the lawyer, and I was like, "Hey, man, I go, what the fuck you just say to so and so? She's over there crying right now." I go, "What are you guys doing?" You know. So I was sticking up for all these people, and she ended up throwing me under the bus too. She, I found out later, was like saying things about me that weren't even true. So my point is, uh, maybe I should have kept my head down and not stuck up for people so much. But at the same time, uh, even though I got screwed and I lost out on, I don't know, do the math, probably like. $70,000 or something at least I don't know um, even though I, that, that other guy that I talked about he still has that job and you know hopefully karma comes around in the long run you know I'll get something better I've already gotten better things since but um, you know what I mean I just feel like I'd rather be a good person than a piece of shit so alright here's the next one. Oh, this one pertains to my wife's man I didn't realize how long this is going I might only do one more let's see which one I should do um, that one and then let's see what this one is um, yeah the anger at your spouse one I don't know if I'll do uh, actually you know this one's kind of beautiful one of them just about being a good host Abraham the model of hospitality all right, I'll just read this one. I'll just do them quick. I'll do them both. Although the Bible doesn't tell us very many details about Abraham's life, Genesis 18 makes it clear that he was an exemplary host whose behavior still has much to teach us about how to act towards guests. There's another thing with my wife. is like she's made me a better person. Uh, it was a hot day in ancient Canaan, and Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent. Since the previous chapter reported that the elderly Abraham had just been circumcised, ugh, he might... Can you imagine getting circumcised when you're old? He might well have been recuperating yet as soon as he sees three men walking in his direction Abraham stands up and runs to them can you imagine running to somebody if you just got your dick chopped up when he reaches them he bows respectfully and pleads with them to be his guests Abraham offers the men water to wash with a loaf of bread to eat and a shady spot to rest when the guests accept his invitation Abraham hurries to the tent to ask his wife Sarah to prepare some cakes then he goes to the youth tending his cattle and arranges with him to slaughter and prepare a calf. As soon as he can, Abraham brings the food to his guests and attends to their needs while they eat. The first thing we learn from Abraham is graciousness. He makes it clear to the strangers that he will feel honored if they accept his invitation. Quote, my lords, if I find favor in your eyes, please don't pass your servant by. End quote. Abraham is also intent on supplying the travelers immediately with all that they need. Indeed, the action that recurs most often in this biblical account is rushing. Abraham rushes to greet the men, rushes over to Sarah, and his servant asks them to work quickly to prepare the food. He is also the most attentive of hosts, standing by his guests as they eat so that he can quickly provide for all their needs. That sounds a little creepy, you know what I mean? Just standing over them. It's like a weird waiter. Anything else? How's the food? Anything else? Do you like it? <laughs> okay, I'm right here. 
Finally, Abraham delivers more than he promises. Quote, I will fetch a loaf of bread that you may sustain yourselves, end quote, is what he initially tells his guests, but so he soon provides them with cream and milk, followed by a sumptuous feast of meat from a tender calf and cakes. Jewish tradition learns from Abraham's behavior, quote, the righteous say little and do much, end quote. I should, I should do that a little bit more. Say little and do much? I say a lot. <laughs> Sometimes I don't do enough. For thousands of years, Abraham has been the role model for Jews who wish to practice the mitzvah of hospitality, chachnaset orchim. He actively seeks out guests, rushes to meet their needs, and gives even more than he promised. Who wouldn't want to be entertained by such a host? So my wife gets on me if I don't, and I'm a good host. I've always been a good host, but I'm an even better host now because of my wife. Because when somebody, even like her brother comes over, and her brother, she's super close with her brother, um, and he just comes over, it's not a party or anything. If I forget to be like, hey man, do you want a beer? Do you want water or something? If I forget to say that, which by the way, he's close enough, he can just go get it himself and we wouldn't be like, what are you doing in our fridge, man, you know? Um, she got on my case one time and I was annoyed because I thought it was nitpicky. And then at the same time, I realized I, I you know, I did forget to offer somebody who came into our home water or something to drink, you know? So, Again, just complimenting my wife. She's not, if you're listening to this, Christy, you have your faults, okay? You're not perfect. Don't get a big head. All right, here's the last one I'll read, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, when you're angry at your spouse, putting things into perspective. This is huge. I've gotten a lot better at this as I've gotten older. I still slip up sometimes, but not just with your spouse, just in general with things. Just to take a step back before... This chair is the worst. Um, before, you know, getting angry or getting annoyed or something. All right. Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine, one of the most famous theatrical couples in history, were married for over 50 years. An interviewer once asked Ms. Fontaine if she had ever considered divorcing, and she responded, divorce never, murder often. This jocular response reflects a painful truth. Married couples, even those deeply in love, often irritate each other and frequently find themselves expressing anger that is excessive and unfair. The ending of this chapter is so good. Minor issues that should provoke annoyance at most sometimes impel intense outbursts during which cruel comments are made and painful incidents from the past are recalled. On other occasions, when one partner is in pain, the other responds unfairly. We find one such incident in the Bible. Jacob loved his wife Rachel deeply. However, when she complained to him bitterly of her childlessness, give me children or I shall die, he did not hold her in his arms or tell her much he loved her, whether she had children or not. Instead, he responded with words that could only intensify her pain. Quote, can I take the place of God who has denied you fruit of the womb? Sometime later, Rachel gave birth to Joseph. Still later, she died while giving birth to Benjamin. I wonder how often Jacob thought back to the cruel words he had said to Rachel in a moment of anger and how much he regretted them when it was too late to take them back. Anger often... Well, if there's anybody like somebody in my family, he probably just forgot that he said shitty things and then lies to himself and says that he didn't say the shitty things and thinks he's a great person. <laughs> That's also a thing. Anger often emanates from one of the least admirable human qualities, pettiness. There are times when anything our spouse does on does gets on our nerves while in petty moods and for some people those can last for days or months we may well exaggerate our spouse's bad qualities while minimizing or taking for granted his or her good ones i am writing these words oh here's the part that really got to me i'm writing these words a week after a swiss airplane crashed in the atlantic ocean killing over 200 people it was subsequently revealed that the plane's passengers had learned some six minutes before the plane went down that it was going to crash my wife said to me that she was wondering what the couples on the airplane must have said and done during those final terrible moments. One thing she was certain, quote, nobody said, I really can't stand the way you always left your clothes on the floor, or I hated the way you were so careless about your spending. 
end quote. That plane must have been filled with people making statements of eternal love, of couples expressing to one another the hope that they would be reunited in heaven or on earth, and with requests of forgiveness for betrayals and cruel words that had been said. Those last moments for all their terror, God willing, may no one ever have to bear such a terror, must also have been moments of great beauty. Shouldn't we think about that the next time we're about to blow up at our spouse for not taking out the garbage? So I just thought that was a really good one and I've definitely gotten better at that as I've gotten older, but I think I could be even better. Um, that's one thing I, I remember when Christy and I first got married and we'd get in like a little disagreement. I remember I just go, are we gonna get divorced? I go, is this divorceable? And she's like, what? Are you crazy? No. And I go, well, then let's just get over it. <laughs> That's kind of a good good barometer for everything. We're going to get divorced. What are you mad at? Are we getting divorced over it? Uh, that doesn't mean you just get away with things and be like, well, unless you divorce me, I'm going to keep doing it. But I'm saying if, we're in, if you're in like a disagreement. But uh, yeah, I thought that was nice. Um, must be a great moment of beauty when, because when it really comes down to it, the big picture, you know, you love these people so I don't know all right hopefully that didn't get too religious for anybody it's more just ethics stuff you know it's not not reading about you need to believe this or believe that it's just more how to act so I really uh, there's a lot of things I've been reading where uh, makes me feel good because I realize even though I'm not super religious I live that way and then there's other things that maybe like the ambulance thing I mentioned I didn't do and I realized well I could be a much better person if I did this um, so there's some things that are good reminders, some things that are good reminders of things I'm already doing well that I should make sure I keep doing well, and then there's some things that, you know, I might not be doing that I should be doing. So there you go. I'll be back uh, with more stuff. Please rate and review. Five stars. I really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to my daddy.